From a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Brian Kilmeade will appear with the Thurber House Evenings with Authors series on Thursday, November 2nd to discuss his latest historical thriller, Andrew Jackson and the Miracle of New Orleans, The Battle That Shaped America's Destiny. Welcome to Craft, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So this is the third in a collection of books that you've written about historical figures in the United States. So tell me a little bit about Andrew Jackson and the Miracle of New Orleans. I mean, what I'm trying not to do is not to do the definitive biography on Andrew Jackson. I think that's been done before. What I wanted to do was focus on things in our history that doesn't get enough attention. I think that are worthy to bring out. That's where George Washington's inspiring. I thought, you know, they were top secret till 1930. And then you have uh, the Tripoli Pirates. Thomas Jefferson takes on Muslim extremists, you know, in the 1800s, late 1780s. I thought that would be something to bring forward. And now I thought we found something in, in the Battle of New Orleans, which everyone told us, hey, you didn't have to fight that battle. They had already signed the peace treaty, uh, Treaty of Ghent. And it's just not true. And then you see the, the unfathomable victory and the message it sent to the rest of the world. It set the tone for where we are today because we overcame the world's best infantry uh, in a matter of under an hour, uh, wiped them out after they have had their way with us throughout the entire war of 1812. And Jackson's the one who led it. He's a self-taught military leader. Mm-hmm. How did you get interested in Jackson? What parts of uh, his background appealed to you before you started? There's, there's nothing that doesn't interest me about Andrew Jackson, which, uh, you know, when they're starting to debate about him, or I saw so many former presidents loved him. You know, you hear about FDR, Truman, Teddy Roosevelt wrote a book about him. Lincoln referred to him. Uh, Ronald Reagan wanted to take a picture near his statue before he started. So I just thought, I'm like, this is, there's got to be something special about him, as well as controversial. No one could defend slavery. No one should defend Trail of Tears. Absolutely not. But a guy that balanced the budget, orphaned at 13 years old, becomes a congressman, a senator, a judge, obviously a lawyer, a major general and a two-term president. I mean, that's pretty cool. And that is the American success story. And a guy that has to put together an army, now with a a bunch of uh, Irish and English, but with Cajuns, with French, with with, uh, 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 Indians, American Indians that are friendly to the cause, friendly to the country with uh, free people of color, and he's got to put this army together in three weeks. I said, no, that's a great American story. And that's typical because with strength in our our diversity. So tell me about when you're writing this. So you have a writing partner that you work with. What's your strategy for sitting down and and creating the book? Yeah, I mean, we do some work. When I'm out touring for the book, we start laying the foundation down. We down uh, what we think should be the chapters and we, then we write the summaries and then we start blowing up the chapters one by one and going back and forth and next thing you know we have what we think is something worthy of giving to the editor and we have a great editor the editor will take a look at it and, and come back and and come back to different things and then we get close we start hunting for the right pictures paintings photos and it's just it, it's pretty much the same process over the last three uh three times i have five books overall and this is mm-hmm. the third one of history. What are some of the things that were most surprising for you when you were doing the research for Andrew Jackson and the Miracle of New Orleans? What really didn't you expect when you started in on this? I mean, number one, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up with a hagstrom in my hand. You know, until you understand New Orleans, what it stood for and where the Mississippi is, you don't understand the reason, uh, the message it sent and the reason why we had to win the battle. 
If you control the mouth of the Mississippi, you control the Mississippi because you control what comes in and out. And if you can't control the, that, the Mississippi, you can't go past it and grow west. So I had no idea that the British were looking to hold on to it. And paperwork revealed Ron Drez, a historian who might be the best in the business on this, says, you know, listen, they, there's paperwork that showed that they had every intention of holding the Mississippi, holding New Orleans after we left. And I had no idea about that. And if they did that, they could have flipped it back to the Spanish. They never thought the French had the right to sell it to us, Napoleon. And if we had not gotten that, it would have held up the, uh, America's growth another 50 years, maybe more, maybe forever. We would have stopped where we stopped. So when you have these three people now, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Andrew Jackson, when you look at them as a, a group, what kind of things do you like to tell people about these three major figures in American history that you see maybe brings them together or brings them or, or makes them really distinct from each other? Well, I mean, you had, uh, you know, Jackson looked up to, Jackson looked up to Washington like most everybody because he was a great warrior, a great leader, understated, didn't like to brag, you know, would, uh, would stay humble. He loved uh, Jefferson's intellect, but Jefferson didn't love him. And he didn't <laughs> love the fact that Jefferson didn't, didn't, uh, uh, the way I can understand it, didn't really rally to the military cause in the Revolutionary War when they told him, get a militia together and stand up for Virginia. He's like, I don't think so. And, you know, Jefferson then does toast him after the Battle of New Orleans and does consult Madison through the entire time as Washington burns on down. And then you have uh, Jackson, this great instinctive, confident leader who never took a backward step, even if it meant he had to get shot in a duel. And but understand, he had compassion. He was revered and feared. And even when he was suffering from dysentery, he had to devise a battle plan, 6'1", 140 pounds. He still had this reverence and presence about him. And yet he also had every reason to be a miserable failure. His dad, his older brother dies in the Revolutionary War. His second oldest brother dies in the war, uh, imprisoned at the same camp as him. His mom dies. He only finds out when a trunk arrives from home. When you have causes like that, people are ruined. Instead, he said, I I'm determined to matter. And that just left me in awe. I, you know, we still have that American dream today. Uh, don't tell me where you're from. Tell me where you're going. And that's what that's the way Jackson seems to have lived his life. And he knew he was special. He was keeping his papers and touring, touring the Hermitage, getting behind the glass, going to New Orleans, seeing how he was looked up to. Yeah. What do you think accounts for that in terms of, you know, his background and everything? If he with the background that you're describing, um, what gave him that drive? Uh, I think in, it's the same thing that gives certain people a drive. I mean. Something about him wanted to matter. When you go through your entire youth, never getting a gift, never really feeling that's home. And then you have the American people of that era rally to his side. He felt like the town, the county, the state, the country was counting on him. And he felt the loyalty to him, as well as he felt a sense of, re you know, revenge towards the British. You know, you wiped out my family and there'll be hell to pay. And the War of 1812 was that opportunity. So I don't know where it comes from even today. You know, why is it that a kid can be in adverse circumstances and seem to have everything against him and end up uh, like Oprah Winfrey? And why do other kids seem to have everything and be hooked on opioids and die? So I, I can't answer that question. I could tell you when someone stands out like Jackson stands out back then as well. I think they make news and they live throughout history. I mean, there's a reason why I remember 
you know, not just because he was a two-term president. When you look at all of the people that you've, uh, all these three men that you've written about, which one would you most like to meet? Would you most like to sit down and talk to out of Jefferson, Washington, and Jackson? I mean, it's it's got to be, if I had to pick one, it would it would be uh, Washington, clearly, because mm-hmm. he had everything. But uh, <laughs> I also thought it was, although it was pretty noteworthy, too, they all three ended up wealthy. You know, they had their money problems, but they all ended up wealthy. So you can be successful, wealthy, a leader, you know, and still sacrifice it all uh, for your idea of a country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, no one says you're going to go to New Orleans and it's going to go well. Look at how many officers, British officers died in that battle. You know, you're not, you're not just sitting back in a bunker hoping your men fight. I mean, this guy was on the front lines. Washington was on the front lines. Uh, Jefferson, you know, knew when he signed that paper, the Declaration of Independence, and wrote it. That that was his death sentence if we had lost. So these all three men had unbelievable courage, knowledge, and sense of adventure, and had just great quality. So I mean, it's hard to pick one, but if I had to pick one, it would just be it would be Washington. But clearly, clearly uh, Jackson would be the most fun. <laughs> That's also par- partly because he was the most controversial. I remember this story about his, uh, well, not the most controversial, but I remember his stories about his inauguration getting a little out of hand. Yeah. Brian Kilmeade, thank you very much for talking to me today, and we'll look forward to your visiting on November 2nd with the Thurber House Evenings with Authors. Thanks so much. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time... Be creative.